My desire this morning is to encourage all of us. But this being Father's Day, it's especially, I want to encourage us dads. You know, for me, it's one of life's great joys being a father. I'm really very thankful, very grateful for my, my family, very proud of them. But you know, it's not always easy being a dad. You know, just recently this week, I read a story about three men. They were in a hospital room pacing back and forth, waiting for their children to be born. And the nurse popped in and said, Mr. Smith, your wife just gave birth to twin boys. He said, oh, that's awesome. He said, that's appropriate, too, because I work for Doubleday Publishing. Picked up his coat and his hat. He walked out of the room. About 30 minutes later, the nurse popped her head back in and said, Mr. Mr. Stevens, your wife just delivered triplets. Congratulations. He said, oh, man, that's amazing. And that's appropriate as well because I work for the 3M Corporation. He picked up his hat and he walked out of the room. There was one man left standing. And the nurse said, hey, I'll be back to talk to you. And he said, don't bother. He grabbed up his hat and his, and his coat and he started heading out. He said, I'm leaving. I work for 7-Up. <laughs> you know, this past week, Urban Impact finished up a, a Man Up conference, talking about up. And that conference was there to help us men to be godly fathers and also to inspire us to reach out to the fatherless. And it was a great conference. And I want to thank all of you who prayed and participated and served in some capacity. God was there and it was a powerful time. I want to encourage you next year to come. It will be happening on June 7th. Tony Evans and Tom Lynn and others will be back again to preach and teach the Word of God and encourage you to come and be part of that. But you know, the conference was there not to beat up men but to build them up. And at the conference, we were trying to help men to be dads who break through, not break down. And that's the title of our sermon this morning, Being a Breakthrough Dad. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I would ask that you would fill me with your spirit. Forgive me and cleanse me of any sin that would hinder the preaching of your word. And you'd help us not just be hearers of your word, but doers of it. That you wouldn't just stir us, but that you would change us. For Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. There's a great biblical example of a breakthrough dad found in the scriptures. It's a familiar story, story of the prodigal son. And there we find that the son is rebelling against the father. And when I look at that story, I see three things. I see a breakup, a breakdown, and then a breakthrough. A breakup, a breakdown, and then a breakthrough. Let's look first of all at the breakup. It starts in verses 11 and 12, and it says this. Jesus continued... There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. When you look at that verse, you find that the son is is asking for his share of his father's inheritance. But according to Jewish law, the youngest son was entitled to one-third of his father's estate. But according to the Jewish customs or culture, The kids weren't supposed to get the inheritance until the dad died. Very much how our culture functions. So why is this young son asking for his his inheritance? The father hasn't died yet. Let me tell you why. What he's basically saying to his dad is this. He's saying, Dad, I don't want to wait around until you die. I want what is mine now. And by the way, Father, to me, you're as good as dead. As far as I'm concerned, 
To me, Dad, you're already dead. Now, wow, if you were the father, you know those words would have broke your heart. If you've ever had to deal with a rebellious child, you know it's heartbreaking. Let me say something to all of us. There's no doubt in my mind there are a number of you who are dealing with problems. And might, one of them might be a child that's gone off the reservation, if you will, or a parent that's gone off the reservation. I don't know where it is. I don't know what you, what's going on in all of your lives, but God does. And I know if you have a problem, God has something for you today. But if you don't have a problem, it's inevitable. You will. But when we face these problems in our lives, this is what I've learned. You can't have a breakthrough until you have a problem. You can't have a breakthrough until you have a problem. When I've studied the Word of God, I've realized that in every miracle in the Bible begins with a problem. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament, every miracle begins with a problem. You know what that means? That means the only people who cannot experience a miracle are people who don't have a problem. Don't have problems. So if you have a problem this morning, and you're going to look to God, you become a candidate for a miracle. Hear that. If you have a problem this morning, and you look to God, you become a candidate for a miracle. Why? Because our God is a miraculous God. Our God can make a way where there seems to be no way. And that's what happens in this story. He didn't have a breakthrough until there was a breakdown. And let's look at where it starts right here. If you've got a problem today, I believe that God has something special for you. And here we get started. In this breakup, or this breakdown, we find this. We find in this verse it says, So he divided his property between them. In order to give his son what he wanted, he had to sell off one-third of his farm. When he did that, the rift in the family, the problem in the family, went public. And as soon as it went public, the father's heart was not only broken, but he was humiliated in, in the sight of the community. In other words, the community would have known exactly what was going on in the family because he's selling off his land. But what's amazing to me is that the father gave to the son what he wanted. You know what I've learned over the years? I've learned this. Sometimes the worst thing that God can do for you is give you what you want. You know, I prayed three different times for three different women that I would marry them. And I thank God that God didn't give me what I wanted. Because if he did, I would have married the wrong woman three times, without a doubt. Finally, I stopped praying about what what I wanted, started praying about what God wanted, and God gave me not only what I wanted, but what I needed. And he gave me an unbelievable wife. She is spectacular. Let me say this to you dads. It's good to give to your children what they need, but it isn't always good to give them what they want. This son got what he wanted, and he ended up losing what he had. This son was he didn't care about the family. He didn't care about his father. All he cared about was the money. And what happens in the story? The breakup continues in verse 13. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for the distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Where is the distant country? The distant country is anywhere where someone tries to live without God. A distant country is wherever someone begins to try to live without God. This son gathered the money, and he bolted. He left. 
And what he did is he tried to get as far away from his father and his family as he possibly could go. So what? So that he could live for God? No. So that he could live in wild living. Spend all his money doing crazy stuff. Whatever he desired to do. You know what I've learned over the years working with young people? I've learned this. When they are walking with God and doing what is right, they want to be around me and they want to be around the things and the people of God. But when they are not walking with God, they want to get as far away from me and the things and the people of God as they possibly can go. Dads, listen to me. When your kids try to put distance between you or, or them in the church or the people of God, you need to move heaven and earth to keep them close to you. Believe me. Because that's a sure sign that they're headed off to the distant land. Believe me. They're headed off that way. Do everything you can to bring them close and bring them back. Well, what happens to this, this young man? He finally has not only a break, breakup, but he ends up in a breakdown. Look what happens in verse 14 and 16. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country. So he went and he hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So this boy goes into his pocket and finally his pocket's empty. He's broke. Doesn't have any more funds. Doesn't have any more famine. I mean, any more uh, family. And the famine hits the, hits the land. So he doesn't have any more food. So he doesn't have family. He doesn't have funds. He doesn't have food. And where's his friends? They're nowhere to be found. And his future doesn't look good, and the fun isn't fun anymore, and he's destitute. He's so destitute that he ends up taking a job. He ends up doing for a, for a stranger what he was unwilling to do for his father, and that was the work. But he got a job. He got a job slopping pigs on a pig farm. Now, if you know anything about Jewish law, you know what it says in Leviticus chapter 13. Pigs are unclean. In other words, Jewish people were not associated, not to associate with pigs, touch pigs, have nothing to do with pigs. So this young Jewish boy is doing something that he thought he would never do. You know, that's where rebellion takes you. When you begin to rebel against God, you begin to do things that you thought you would never do. When this young boy was sitting in his father's home and somebody would have walked up to him and said, someday you're going to be slopping pigs, he would have said, no way, not me. But this is where rebellion takes you. It takes you to places that you thought you would never go or never say or never do. You begin to laugh at things that you have no business laughing at. You begin to tolerate things that you should hate. You begin to look at things you have no business looking at. And you begin to play at things, play with things that you should run, run from. That's what rebellion does. It takes you places, and you begin to do things and say things that you never thought you would ever do. And where does this young man end up? What's the result? What's the outcome of it all? Verse 16 tells us. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Hear those words? No one gave, he couldn't even eat the pig slop. Isn't that how Satan and sin works? It promises all this, and boy, it doesn't deliver. And you end up empty, you end up broken, and you end up alone. And this is where this young man is. But this is when he has a breakthrough. 
He had to go all the way to here to have that breakthrough. It's right here. When he gets to the rock bottom, when he finally gets to the end of himself, that he begins to look up towards God. And how does he respond? Look at verses 17 and 20. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. Verse 18, I will set out. Notice it doesn't talk about his emotions there. It doesn't talk about his mind. It's talking about his will. He comes with his will now. He says, I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. In other words, he's honest here. He confesses. He's taking full responsibility of what he's done. He takes full responsibility of his actions here. And then what's he do? In verse 19, it goes on and says, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. In other words, he not only was willing to take the responsibility, but also he was willing to take on the consequences of his actions. Hear me. Parents, dads, kids, including us, men. We never really find ourselves going through a breakthrough until we have this breakdown, until we finally come to the end of ourselves, and then we finally say, I'm not covering it up, I'm not blaming anyone or, take, or making any excuses. I'm going to take the full responsibility of what I've done, and I'm going to face the consequences. And look what he does in verse 20. It says there in verse 20, he says, he got up and he went to his father. He got up and he went. He changed the direction of his life. He was going his way, then he turned around and he started going God's way. And that's when he experienced his breakthrough. Parents, dads, hear me. I know I'm talking about right here. I'm not talking about kids that's, you know, minor things. Like, I'm not talking about spilled milk here. I'm talking about when young men and women go off the reservation. I'm talking about they go AWOL. They go off the, the reservation. They're going crazy. They're rebelling against you and God. I'm talking about major stuff here, okay? When they go off the reservation like that, I find that parents, because you love your kids... Now, you've got to understand, I've been doing this for 30 years with people. And when parents find their kids going off the reservation like this, they want to run in and fix it. You can't fix it. You can't do it. They've got that kid or that man or that woman has to come to the place that they come down to the bottom of themselves and they don't make any more excuses. They take the responsibility and they're willing to follow the consequences and they're willing to change the direction of their life. And when they do that, they'll break through. Until then, you're just going to keep trying to fix it and fix it and fix it. And it doesn't fix. Sometimes we short circuit what God is doing in our children because we panic. Don't panic. Put them in the hands of God. Trust them. Moms and dads, I know this is tough. But if you don't do it, they'll never really break through. Especially if you've got money. Because you can fix it, and you can fix it, but it never gets fixed. Okay? They can break through. God is big enough. I've seen it over and over again. They come to the end of themselves. They repent, they confess, and what happens? Look what happens in the story. Here in this passage, this is what happens. In verse 20, it says this. When finally the son turns around and starts heading home, you see a dad who helps him break through. Watch what this father does. This is, of course, an example, a picture of how God treats us 
when we come home. But while he, the son, was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. Notice it said that he saw him. In other words, he was looking for him. He never gave up on his son. He was always praying, always looking, never gave up. Men, do not give up. Parents, don't give up on your kids. And kids, don't give up on your parents. Keep praying for them. They've gone off the reservation. Pray, don't give up. Keep looking, watching. And when they show up, look what he does. Is he angry? Is he filled with bitterness? Is he got his finger out pointing at his son? No, he's filled with compassion. And right here in the Bible, it says that he runs to his son. You know, that's the only picture in all of the scripture that you see God running. And when's he running? He's running to the one who finally confesses and repents and turns home. And he runs to that one. Only picture in all the scripture where you see God running and he's running to that one. And when he gets there, does he have his arms folded? Does he point his finger at that person? Does he begin to tell them all about what they did wrong? No. What's he do? He embraced them. And then it says that he kissed them. And the word kiss means he continues to kiss the son. Isn't that how all of us want to be treated when we finally turn our lives around and face God? Absolutely. You want to be embraced, and that's absolutely how God treats you. He he embraces you. He loves you. He runs to you. He kisses you, and he hugs you. And dads, when your kids come home after being out in the far country, that's how we're to treat them. Don't bring up all the things that they've done wrong. Don't sit around telling them all that they, I told you so. You know, in all the 30 years of working with, the, with parents, I've had parents come in and they're praying for their kids because they, they went AWOL. And they're praying and they're praying. Finally, the son or the daughter comes home. And what do they do? The prodigal comes home and then they go prodigal. They start telling the, the son all that, or the daughter all that they've done wrong. Start telling them about, I told you so. Start lining up the list of all the things they've done. And what happens to the son and the daughter? What do, they, what do you think they do? They run again. Dads, when that son or daughter comes home, love them. Sometimes it's hard because they've said some wicked things to you. And they broke your heart. But you want to be treated like the fa- like like like, the, like like this. You want the father to love you, love your sons and daughters, embrace them, kiss them. Look what happens. He helps the son break through. He says to the father, "Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you." There's the breakthrough. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But how does how does the father respond to him in verse 22? But the father said to his servants, "Quick, bring the best robe, put it on him, put a ring in it." On his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fatted calf, kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and found. So they began to celebrate. He accepted his son like a son. Not like a hired hand. He was part of the family. Dads, I can't encourage you enough to embrace your children. Even when they get off to go south. When they come home, bring them, love them. Accept them, bring them right back into the family. And after a while, after you establish the trust again, and that they know and they're assured that you love them, then you can sit down and talk about some of the things that happened in the past, if you want to. Most parents come back to me and say, we don't even bring it up anymore. It's done. It's over. 
We keep no records of wrongs. But you don't do it when they first show up. What I've been doing for you is doing intervention. What I've given to you today is some principles of intervention. What do you do when your kids are erupting and rebellion is breaking through in your home? Now let me give you some what I call prevention principles. Principles that you can use that hopefully will help your family or your children break through before there's a breakup and breakdown. There's five principles I want to give you. Five principles that will help your kids break through before there's a breakup. Principle number one, see your child not as they are, but as they can become. Do you hear that? See your child not as they are, but as they can become. Moms and dads, if you don't believe in your children, who will? And dads, if you don't believe in them, you not only need to believe in your children, Father, but you need to tell them that you believe in them. You need to tell them not about just who they are, but what they can become. Dads, you've got to be able to see that. And tell them what they can become. You ever notice in the scriptures when God wants to do something special in somebody's life that he changes their name? He changes their name. Some examples are Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Jacob becomes Israel. Saul becomes Paul. Simon becomes Peter. And why does all that happen? Because their name didn't fit God's plan for them. God doesn't change the plan he changes the name of the student or the, or the young person, if you will, or the man or the woman. Why? Because he's not telling them about who they are now. He's trying to tell them what they're going to be and that he's going to help them to get there. Fathers, hear me on this. I can't tell you enough. In the name, God understood that the power of a name has the power to change someone's whole self-image, shape their character, and really change their destiny. Dad, you have power in the words that you use. You have words that can either bless or curse your kids. Hear what it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Dad's Speak words of blessing. Stay away from words that are abusive. You do that and you're going to help your son really break through if you can help them see what they can become rather than just who they are. The second thing that I want to help you to understand is this. Find your child's bent before you get bent out of shape. Find your child's bent before you get bent out of shape. The mistake most of us make as parents is that we try to get our children to become what we want them to be instead of who God made them to be. Remember, Dad, God created you in your mother's womb. He used your mom and dad to make you, but God created you in your mother's womb. It says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, we are God's workmanship. In other words, God is the craftsman and we are his handiwork. When he created you, he created you unique. There'll never be another one like you on the planet. No one else will have your fingerprint, your voice print, your footprint, or your DNA. You're an original. Never be another one like you on the planet. But dads, that's not only true about you, that's true about your children. They're unique. There'll never be another one like them. And remember this. Never try to make your son or daughter another you. One is enough. You see, what we end up trying to do, though, we try to, help, we try to tell our kids what we want them to be. That's not your job. God created those children. He used you and your, your wife to make them, but he created them. He's given them a purpose. He has a purpose for their lives. 
just as he has, you, has a purpose for yours. And those kids that have been given to you are on loan. You don't own them. You're, you're, you give them back to God. What we need to do as parents, we're stewards. We need to help our children find out what God created them to be and to do and get them to do that. We need to help our children find the God-given sweet spot that God has for them and put them in that spot and empower them to do what God told them to do. It's not about what you think they should do. It's about what God created them to do. I have had hundreds of men and women come to me over the years and say, my father and I don't get along because I disappointed him. And I say, how did you disappoint him? Because I didn't do what he thought I should do with my life. Dads, don't do that. And if your father has done that, don't keep the curse moving along. Break it today and start finding out where your, where your son and your daughter needs to be and empower them to do what God created them to do. Break it today. Break it today. Here's the third point. We are to be the spiritual leaders of our home. Hear me, dads. We can't leave it up to the church and we can't leave it up to our wives. They can help us. They can help us. But we need to take the responsibility of being the spiritual leaders of our homes. Look what, look what John Maxwell says to us. I love it. He helps us to understand how we are to give leadership spiritually to our homes. This is what he says. Your child deserves to hear you pray earnestly and often. Your child deserves to hear you talk to them about the things of God. Your children deserve to hear you share your faith with other people. To see you put God first in your financial giving. To watch you live a consistent Christian life. To go where you go to go with you to visit the unfortunate. To hear you say good things about other Christians. Your children deserve to be exposed to people and experiences that will enhance their spiritual growth. To see you love their mother. Your child deserves to know Jesus Christ in a personal way. Dads, don't leave it up to the church or your wife. Be the spiritual leader of your home. They can help you, but we need to be the leaders. You know, the fourth thing is this. We need to spend time with our kids. Spend time with our kids. I'll never forget this one time I was preaching and a young man came forward to the altar and I went over to him and I said, what brought you, what brought you here, son? He said, my father died saving my life. I said, how'd that happen? He said, we were in a boating accident in the river and a current was strong, was taking us down the river. And my father grabbed me and threw me up on a rock, but the current took his life. He saved me, but died in the process. I said, your father really loved you. He said, yeah, that's what I'm so confused about. I said, what do you mean? He said, I know that my father died for me, but I'm so confused. I don't know why he wasn't willing to live for me. And he proceeded to talk to me about the fact that he was never around. He was a ghost. He was never there at the birthday parties, the little league practices, games, nowhere. James Dobson says this. He says that kids spell love T-I-M-E. Time. 
Guys, I know we're busy. Believe me. You're working really hard to put food on the table, trying to be responsible for what's going on in your home. I, I, I understand it. But you've got to spend time. You've got to prioritize. And that leads us to the fifth thing. Fifth thing is this. The fifth principle is this. We need to strive to be a priority dad, not a perfect father. Strive to be a priority dad, not a perfect father. Man, if you'll do these things, you'll help your kids break through before there's a breakup and breakdown. I'll never forget my father-in-law sitting down with me because I was marrying his daughter. He said, Ed, can you tell me the priorities of your life? I looked at him, I kind of hemmed and hawed, and he said, you know, I've been in ministry for 38 years. He was a pastor. He said, you know, I've asked that to hundreds of men, and most of them could never answer it. So I'll tell you what, how about if I tell you my priorities, and if you would like to adopt them, you can. (laughs) I said, okay, tell me your priorities. He said, first, number one is my relationship with God. Number two is my relationship with God with my wife. And number three is my relationship with my kids, then my work in my ministry, and finally my leisure time. And then he said this to me. He said, if you keep those in that sequence, you keep them in priority like that, your life will work. It won't be perfect, but it'll work. But if you get these out of sequence, in other words, you put your leisure time above your family, you put your family above God, you put your work above it all, you begin to put those out of line, get them out of sequence, your life is going to unravel. You know what I found? I found he was right. If I keep them in order, things work. Not perfect, but they work. But when I get those out of sequence, my life unravels, and so does my family. I'll never forget, I've told you many times, I got sick for nine months. I was out of the ministry. But six months in it, I was getting better and I was driving a car. And my oldest son, Nathan, who's here today. Nate, I'm going to do something. I didn't tell you this, but just raise your hand up there. This is my son, Nathan, right there. Yeah, this is my son, Nathan. I'm doing that for a reason, so you know where he is, so you can go ask him. I I haven't talked to you about what I'm saying today, have I? Okay. Here it is. We were driving in the car, and Nate looks up at me, and he says, Hey, Dad, I'm really feeling guilty about something. I said, What's that? He said, I'm really feeling guilty because I'm happy. I'm glad that you got sick. I looked at him, and I said, You're happy about me getting sick. Why would you be happy? He said, Because I get to be with you. I get to be with you. What my son was saying to me, which I already knew, is that my life was out of control. I was trying to save the world and losing my kids. I looked at my son and I said this, son, you never have to feel guilty about wanting to be with your dad. But I'll tell you this, I'm telling you, you're not going to have to feel guilty about that again. Because I'm going to change. I pointed out my son because I'm, I'm saying to you, you go to him and you ask him. 
if I changed. And I believe that my son will tell you, yeah, I did. I changed. I started reprioritizing my life. And I thank God I did. Men, listen to me. You can help your kids break through before there's ever a breakup and breakdown. You practice these five principles. And let me read them for us slowly but affirmingly. Affirm, to affirm them. Number one, strive to be a priority dad, not a perfect father. Spend time with your kids. Be the spiritual leader of your home. Help find your child's purpose, God-given purpose, and empower him to do it. Help your daughters and your, ch- and your men to see not just who they are, but who they can become. You do that, men, and you're going to help your kids break through. But once your child goes off the reservation, they go ballistic on you. Love covers a multitude of sin, my friend. Remember that. If you don't remember anything else, just love them. Now, I want to say this, and I'm going to bring my friend up to help lead worship right now. You know, Brad and I just did the conference together. He was there in the midst, and he was here this morning. We started talking about it, and he made a statement at the end when he sings this song. And the statement that he made was, but there might be some of us in this room that have just kind of been running away from God. Maybe that's you. I want you to know that this God that we're talking about, if you turn around and you come back home today, he runs to you. He forgives you. He cleanses you. He, He loves you. He kisses you. He hugs you. But you also might have some fathers or some experiences with your father. And they're horrible. And you're sitting there and saying, I, don't, I can't forgive my father. My father did some horrible things to me. I do not have time to tell you the story. I don't. We're running out of it. But my dad did some hard things to me. But when I forgave him, God set me free. And my kids are living in a totally different home. Totally. Don't hang on to it. It'll kill you. And it just doesn't stop with you, my friend. It just keeps going on from one generation to another. You want it to break. It starts with you. You end it today, my friend. And God will run, run to you. He'll run to you. So as he sings, whatever you need to do, whether you just pray, you come forward here and we'll pray with you, whatever you need. You pick up a phone today, you deal with it. But if you're not like me and had an experience like me and your family's okay and you're okay, Enjoy being a man today. Enjoy being a dad. And let us help our kids and our families break through. Amen? Amen. You do what God tells you to do.